thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. everybody. It's Jen, and I'm back um, sitting with Jess Edelstein, our executive producer today. We're celebrating the end of season one. <gasps> I can't believe it. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe it either. I can't believe that we pulled it off and that we got this far. I'm shocked that it's coming to an end. I know. It feels really weird because I'm still shocked that it started. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm still shocked that we have episodes out. And so the idea that we're like on a wrap of this first chapter is pretty huge. You're really surprised by that? Yeah. But this has been such a long time in the making, you know? I don't... Like, that's the emotion? Surprise? That's one of them. What are the other ones? I feel proud of myself for taking action on this idea. Anybody who listened to that episode we did mid-season about where this concept came from knows that I was in this period of really feeling like I needed to do something to change my life. And I think probably a lot of us feel that way a lot of the time about a lot of different things. And it's a big undertaking to make a big change. And so... Even though on the outside, nothing has really changed very much as a result of starting this podcast, I feel like I was faithful to myself. 
um, because I had the thought that I needed to do something and this sort of fell on the podcast fell under that umbrella and we did it. There is a sense of pride there that it was like, well, I showed up for myself and I feel really proud of our storytellers who we had sit with us are some really remarkable human beings. And, um, you know, that's an accomplishment too. I agree. Just what, what we're trying to send out into the world is coming from really good people. And that's special. That's something. It is. And it definitely raises the bar for season two. <laughs> um, I'm feeling some pressure. Totally going to rise to the occasion and help you find amazing people to interview. Oh, maybe you'll decide to take the seat too. <laughs> no. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. That one's always going to stay in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Okay, so what do you want to talk about with season one? Because I have questions. Well, let's start there. I would love to hear your thoughts about what's it like to be a podcaster? What are your reflections like, what have you learned from this first season? What would you do differently? Is there, like, do you have any regrets? Are there things that you wish you could tweak? I mean, uh, uh, yes to all of that. Yeah. Where do you want to start? <laughs> um, what was the first one? What does it feel now to have a season under your belt to have become a podcaster? It's so much more work than I thought it was going to be. And... I know that uh, the production quality of our show could be so much higher, and I really want for that to happen because I just feel like it makes it easier to listen to and it's a more polished product. When I jumped in, I did not know what I was getting into. I thought it would be work, but I also thought, I'm like good at hard work, and I'm smart and I'm creative. I can learn and I didn't think that it would feel like as much work as it has felt like. I'm really lucky that I you know, have some folks who are willing to partner with me in it because for me, it's not just about the creation of the podcast itself. There's like the promotional aspect and trying to keep up with social media and all of that is a lot of content generation too, which is no joke. I mean, there are some podcasts that have a full-time employee who is doing the social media side of things. So, yeah, so it's just a lot more work than I thought it would be. And I, was that my big takeaway or what I learned? I don't even remember what the question was. All of it. Yeah. It's a lot more work. But it's, I don't want to discourage people who are interested in trying to start a podcast from starting because of the work. But I think you have to have a real commitment it's not just something that happens like magic. I think it sounds pretty polished. I don't know if that's, you know, a credit to Craig, the editor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have an audio engineer who has partnered with us. His name is Craig Knapp, and I feel like he does magical things sure. because I know what I'm able to hand to him. <laughs> um, sounds every bit of amateur hour, and yeah, thank you, Craig, because... None of this first season would have been possible without you, and I will be eternally grateful to you for stepping into this adventure with me and just being willing to ride the ride and honestly, like, being so solid because there were so many times that I 
wanted to bail and felt like it was too much and things that I was really overwhelmed and daunted by you were able to take on and do or you pointed me in the right direction and I'm I am forever in your debt Craig so thank you he's a good dude I've never met him but I to, I just think he is obviously incredibly generous of spirit he is and how he really has had a pivotal role in making the podcast a hundred percent Yep, yeah. I am standing on his shoulders. There is no doubt about that. Um, so I'm curious to hear what are what makes it so time consuming besides like social media. What are the other parts that are that's a piece of it, and then surprised you maybe when you're not doing a live show, there's an editing aspect involved in addition to the audio engineering, and I think there are a lot of podcasters who also have an editor on staff who you know, takes that raw footage and puts it together in a beautiful way. Our show is pretty minimally edited. I'm trying to think of some other storytelling podcasts. Like a lot of people know this American life where sometimes there's, you know, interviews and then there's a little bit of like a voiceover section and then the host does some commenting. And so, you know, that's not recorded in that order. It's edited into that order. And so since our show is minimally edited, it's not like we're putting a, a brilliant puzzle together like that, but there's still a lot of time involved with editing. Um, I'm definitely getting better at it. At the beginning, it was hours and hours and hours. I would say probably four or five hours for every 30 to 45 minute conversation. So the editing piece is exponentially higher. Um, and maybe that's partly because I'm a novice and was learning new software and all that kind of stuff too probably dragged out the process. So I'm I'm getting faster. Obviously, sitting down to have conversations takes time and planning. It's not the heaviest lifting. Well, that probably feels like your air quotes podcasting when you're doing the interviews. Yeah. As opposed to some of that grunt work. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Yeah. I think finding people. Yeah. To be interviewed mm-hmm. and just the follow up can be very time consuming. Yeah. Agreed. Um. Yeah. And that hasn't been heavily on my shoulders. That has you've done a lot of that. Well, and it hasn't even been that difficult this year because you know, some of these folks were easier to connect with because you knew them um before the podcast. But I think moving forward I think that'll be a bigger time commitment, but that'll be okay because that's my job. <laughs> Are there any things that you were surprised about in becoming a podcaster and learning how to podcast? Like I'm kind of, I'm more interested right now, like in the meta stuff. Like Like the technical piece. I had no idea. Like once a podcast is produced, how does it get to iTunes or how does it get to Spotify or whatever? I, I had no idea. Like once we had content, how were we going to get it? to them what what do we do (laughs) and so one of the big technical pieces that I learned was that we need a we needed a host we need someone who is going to host our content on the internet and that host actually partners with streaming services so I don't actually get our stuff to Apple Podcasts at all our host does and that's a big part of some of the stuff that Craig was helping me with that I was referring to in the beginning because I was just completely daunted by all of that where to go what to do who to talk to how to set it up 
and it's harder to get started than it is to be rolling. Like once you're rolling, at least our host, I feel like has a very user-friendly platform and the um, owner of that company, his name is Mark. I mean, I, I've interfaced with him directly over video chat and he's emailed me back when I've had questions. And so I don't know how big their operation is, but I've definitely felt like there's a, a personal a personal touch that's been really helpful and made me feel like somebody knows what's going on, even if I don't know. I was surprised at how responsive he was. And the few times I've been aware that you've contacted him, how quickly you get a response. Like, that was shocking to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're out of the UK. It's a company called Podient. People might be familiar with that if they've been to our website at all, because the All I Know website is hosted as well by Podient. They they host our content and our website. So allIKnow.podient.co is them. They're the anchor for that. Over this first season of becoming a podcaster, are there things that you were surprised by or that you would do differently? I think something I wish I had known for the first season is that the release schedule greatly impacts the work in the in-between spaces. And so um, for us, originally, when when we started recording, I was thinking we would drop an episode every week. And that actually is a lot for me to keep up with right now, given the, the schedule and where things are. So we're on an every other week schedule at the moment, unless it's a series. Like we had a couple of series this season. I think Stephanie was a series, Raj was a series, Kate was a series, um, Alba was a series. I think that it was those four mm-hmm. that were not one-offs. So if there was a, a guest we had who had a, a lengthier conversation and it was multiple episodes, we released those every week. But I, I wish I had known going into season one how to manage my work calendar to be able to release weekly. And maybe one day we'll get there. Um, but I, I still think even though I understand it better now, I still think every week might be too much for me where I'm at with other areas of my life and managing it all. And when you say your work schedule, are you talking about your day job? No, I'm talking about the work schedule for, for the, the podcast. podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus your side hustle. Right. Yeah. And we had done a little bit of research about starting a podcast at the very beginning. And I cannot cite the source for anybody, but I remember specifically reading an article saying that it's a really good idea to have a certain number of episodes in the can ready to go. And we actually ended up recording the entire season before we released anything. And I think that workflow is very good for me. And so we'll probably take part of the year as the creation part in terms of the those interviews and stories. And then the next part of the year will be actually the release of that season. Because I think it'll be hard for me to... I think it'll be hard for me to record and publish at the same time. Yeah. I think we just need more hands on deck. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you ha- anticipate or have a date in mind when you think you would like to start releasing season two? I think it will probably be the late spring of 2021. You know, All I Know first came on the scene publicly in May of 2020. And so I I kind of have my sights set at May of 2021 to, and use the first part of the year to 
to record those episodes so that the whole season is done before anything airs. Okay, I'm going to start sending my email follow-ups to people that I <laughs> talked to initially. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm at this moment in time, we're at the beginning of December. So we're like in the last month of the year and it's uh, 2021's coming quick. Yeah. Yeah. It surely, surely is. Are there things that you would do differently looking back on season one? Yes. Um, one of the things that I had really wanted to do as part of promoting the podcast, which I did, was to write like a brief note of thanks to each storyteller, talking a little bit about my experience with them and making that public. So that is part of our social media promotion. And in addition to that, I really wanted to be responsible for the photographic content we were using. I am a photographer, you know, on the side, and I really wanted to do all of my own shooting for social media content. And I think as much as I would like to do that, I think that probably what makes more sense is to actually ask people to provide some of their content. And if I'm able to do some, great, but uh, we need more content than I thought we did. You know, when we were recording season one, I felt like I just need one picture to promote the episode. No, (laughs) I don't. Actually, it would probably be better for me to have seven to 10 images of each guest that I could use to share their story. So I think that's something that I would definitely do. I have to like let that part go, which is yeah. sad because that's one of my favorite things. But well, and maybe you could still do that for, you know, if we happen to interview people who are local. I'm sure you could do that. Off the top of my head, some of the folks that I've already contacted are not local. Right. So. Right. Well, yeah. So for the out of state folks, I mean, there's no question. And for the people who are local, I mean. That's time, too. Like, yeah. you have to add yeah. that time in editing. And not, it's not just getting the shot. It's the post-production, too, mm-hmm. um, which I have learned in my experience as a photographer that post-production is a huge part of a photographer's job. It's not just the shoot. Anyway, so that's something I would do different, but that's a little bit heartbreaking to let go to of. Let go of yeah. yeah. Maybe if we get to a place where... I'm doing I'm I'm working on the podcast full time. I can retain that piece or bring that piece back. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um were there any things about podcasting that were intimidating? It's all intimidating. It's all intimidating. I mean, anybody who listens to the opening of the show knows that I work in mental health. So there's an element of there's an element of me as a therapist that feels kind of exposed and vulnerable having public conversations with people. I imagine knowing that I'm a therapist, not just a host, that someone might be thinking about what am I like as a therapist listening to the show. Um, for sure. Okay. Yes, so I'm sure. right about that. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Oh gosh, for sure. Well, that's uncomfortable. Why? That's uncomfortable and vulnerable just because nobody you know, nobody wants to be judged, you know, putting yourself in a place of being judged is really uncomfortable because you may not 
rise to someone's expectation or standard and you have no control over that so I mean I would definitely say that that's a piece also I think that it's hard to hear your own voice in playback that's gotten easier for me probably because I've been so exposed to it with the hours of editing that I've done so I'm less sensitive about that now than when I was editing the very first episode but I don't love listening to myself I just swallowed really hard (laughs) (laughs) because after listening to that last episode with just the two of us I was like I cannot stand oh the mid-season one yes yeah yes yeah it's hard to record yourself those seasonal allergies are not cute in my voice (laughs) (laughs) so like at work now when I'm getting on a meeting where I know I'm gonna have to talk over zoom I like do this whole thing where I clear my throat and I drink some water make sure you're sounding as good as you can yeah 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 um I I don't know I'm kind of like spinning on the you worry that people are going to be judge, judging you or forming opinions of you as a therapist based on you as an interviewer. Well, yeah. Podcast. Especially because this is not therapy. No, I'm not doing therapy with someone when they're sitting across from me. We're, we're having a conversation and I'm helping facilitate the telling of their story. It's not therapy. I guess what I'm thinking is it's a little bit um, like judging someone on how good of a cook they are when you've only had their pastries. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be judged as a therapist just in this. Oh, okay. Well, so I don't know if people would be judging you on the type of therapist that they might think you are. I think people are curious about you. And so... Part well, of, that's uncomfortable. Part of that being curious about sh- you is like... That makes me want to shut the whole show down. Well, right that's now. not happening. That's not <laughs> happening. And part of that's curiosity around, like, what kind of therapist is she like? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I listened to this other podcast, and one of the hosts is a therapist. I don't know that she does it day-to-day anymore. And I definitely have some opinions about the type of therapist that I think she may or may not be based on how she presents but it's for me it's really just curiosity. Yeah, that's what I don't want people doing. Really? <laughs> but there's no I mean there's no controlling it. It is no, what it is. No. It's interesting to me that that curiosity makes you uncomfortable because I'm like but that's like that's the whole reason people listen to podcasts. It's cuz they're curious and there's that whole voyeuristic reality TV component to it. I mean, I guess, but I also Maybe that's just me. No, I mean, I, th- I understand what you're saying, but I also feel like, yeah, it's easy to say and do when you're not the one who's in the limelight, right? I don't know. I'm not in the limelight. Uh-huh. Yeah. At my point exactly. Yeah. It's a lot easier to be the looky than the one who's being looked at. For sure. Yeah. But, I mean, what's that saying about... People's perceptions of you aren't your responsibility. Yeah, I mean, of course. And there is there is nothing I can do about it. But knowing that that is happening, I mean, and I, I sort of threw it out there as this question, this, like, wondering. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> happening. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. The only thing I can do is unplug and shut it down. 
that's the only way I can stop it from happening. Yeah. But it does make me a little bit uncomfortable and it does feel vulnerable. And thinking about, you know, telling more pieces of my story um, as part of season two definitely plays into that too, where it's like, am I sure I want to, you know, share these puzzle pieces publicly? And I'm thinking about, you know, these different sectors of my life and how I feel about people in that group hearing or learning about this part of me. I don't know. I mean, that's risky. And I think it's important if for no other reason for you to record that and release that episode because I think that way you've got true empathy for what your interviewees are experiencing. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I mean, the bravery and courage that people are showing talking about what they're talking about when they come right? sit down across from me, it's it's staggering. It's really, really powerful. And, yeah, I'm in awe of them. I am, too. I am too. And I can't help but wonder if there isn't some kind of connection between their ability to be so vulnerable about, I was going to say their struggles. I don't, I don't know. I don't like that. It sounds cliche and too simple, but if there isn't a connection between their vulnerability and being so open about their really hard, stressful experiences and their happiness level. That vulnerability allows someone to ha- experience more contentment or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's possible. Even, like, I'm not saying, like, that you have, need to be shouting it out from the platform of a podcast, but it just strikes me that all of the people that have been on season one, even if they're not, like, plastering it on their Facebook pages or talking about it with with people they run into every day, it just seems like there it, there is a lot of openness to these people Mm -hmm. that was there before they came on a podcast and shared their stories with a much broader platform. I do. I wonder if there isn't a connection there around embracing what they've been through. Yeah. I think most human beings want to be seen and accepted. And so this is a way of showing yourself and you don't know whether you'll be accepted or not. But generally I think, our audience doesn't have a lot of trolls in it, and I hope that we never do. Knock on wood. You know, I hope that our audience stays people who are curious and accepting and want to learn and open and just generous in spirit, because I think we need more of that in the world anyway. And so if I'm not thinking of myself as the storyteller, it's really easy for me to say to a storyteller, yeah, it will, your story will be accepted and it will touch so many people and people will be impacted and they'll appreciate your, your vulnerability and the strength that that shows. I think vulnerability can lead to happiness in that, or contentment maybe is a better word, a certain peace with yourself because you're showing yourself you're being seen and, and ultimately that's accepted by most people that you're showing it to. And I think the other piece is just connection. You know, when we're real, we have much better odds of actually feeling connected to the people around us. And I think when we feel connected, we are more at peace. Yeah. That's so true. 
I think too, like maybe as a therapist, like it's not these huge conclusions that you're walking away from season one with because you already have the experience of knowing people at their most vulnerable moments. Like I'm not a therapist. And so for me, it's really, it's fascinating to hear these stories. But for me, I find myself wanting to draw like almost like lessons Oh, well, I from think... From the stories. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think I draw from our storytellers. I mean, there have been times in my personal life, especially since the episodes started airing, because after they're edited, I end up re-listening to things when they're finished, um, which is more time for workflow, by the way. Yeah. So I would say that I definitely take things away, and there have been times where things people have said have played in my head as part of their all I know has played in my head and I think about it in application to my own personal life. Should we go person by person and talk about takeaways or thoughts, impressions? Sure. Sure. We can do that. Okay. Let's start with Jules. What were some of the impressions that that left on your heart? (sighs) Jules is inspiring to me because I feel like her message or her anthem is big love and moving into a place where she could see and experience that and have that and then lose it as tragically as she did and still keep coming back for more. I think that's really beautiful and powerful. She's so resilient. She is. She's very, very strong that way. And One of the other things that really strikes me about talking to her is I think she has a rhythm or like a resonance to the way that she speaks and her voice that also are sort of like, like you just feel like, shh, listen. Like it's a holy sacred place when she starts to speak and you don't want to miss it. That's a really powerful quality to have. I'm trying to think who else I know in my life that has that, and I'm not sure that I can that I can think of anybody else. So maybe somebody will pop up later, but it's she definitely is a force, but it's uh, it's quiet. There's a real like feminine strength. Yeah, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that come that comes through. Yes, I mean, and some of it may be. I I have often thought that part of the way, part of the reason that I feel the way that I do is because of the role that Jules has played in my life. Because like you said, all of the guests from this season I have known personally. And so I wondered if I felt that way about her because of our relationship and our history. But I have, there have been listeners who have commented on their experience that really resonates with the way that I see it. And so I was like, oh, it's not just me. That's that's part of who she is. Yeah. Um, what about Diana? What about Diana? <laughs> you know what? I remember sitting down with Diana. It was in the summer months and to record her episode. And I really wondered where we were going to go. And what, what was our path going to be when we talked? And I cannot think about Diana without thinking about Africa and the things that she talked about 
uh, when we were together in terms of her experience in Uganda. Diana is somebody who makes me see the world as more connected. And she's somebody who makes me feel like the world is smaller than it sometimes feels. And I don't know the right way to say it, but it's like she's a lifter of borders. Her way of being in the world and talking about her experience of humanity, I feel like lifts the borders between countries and it just like starts to be one. Hmm. Okay. What are your thoughts or lasting impressions for Doug? Doug is so brave. He is truly a warrior. And one of the things that I think about with Doug, and I've thought about this actually multiple times. You know how I mentioned something will come up in my personal life and I will sometimes think back to a storyteller? I often come back to Doug talking about being a builder. I remember asking him, when I was asking him, you know, who are you? One of the things that he said is that he's a, a builder and a creator. And I loved the way that he put that because I felt like it sort of gave me permission to, to think of myself that way too. And Doug builds like legit with wood and stuff, <laughs> but, but he's also a builder in, in a softer way, in a more abstract way. And I feel like when I think about Doug, I just think about strength. He's fought through a lot and he's won a lot, even if there are not, like, like I remember at the end of our conversation, we were talking about being a warrior or being a, being a fighter and masculinity and the idea that being in the battle is what makes you masculine, not whether you win. And so when I talk about winning, I'm not, I'm not thinking about trophies. I'm thinking about being in the battle. He seems to be a very revolutionary man. Like he's, for as steeped in faith and religion as he is, he's very cutting edge in how he sees masculinity and sees manhood and being a man. It's very cutting edge, especially now. What blew me away about Doug's story is how he 100% takes accountability for what he, for the choices he made, for how he got there, and joyfully did what he needed to do to go back to living by his values. And I just think that's so rare. I think it's what we see over and over and over again is people making excuses for their behavior. I'm sorry, but, you know, well, when I was a kid, like, you know, and they do it in these ways that are very um, credible, but at their core, so much of what's happening is people are not taking accountability for their actions and how, and especially how it impacts their family and, and impacts other people. And I love that about his story, how he 100% owned what he did, put in the work, and then was genuinely happy about where he found himself 
after putting in that work and working to save his family and his marriage. Mm-hmm. That just seems like a one-off nowadays. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty extraordinary story, and I I've had a a handful of conversations with men who are listening to the podcast, who listened to Doug and had a very strong reaction to that episode, and I think I think a big part of it is what we're talking about that yeah is unique in terms of what Doug's yeah. bringing to the table it's and so that novel. idea I'm of sure it masculinity others yeah yeah absolutely it's so unique for us to hear. I mean, I talk about infidelity and struggle the way that he does. I just We just don't hear, we don't hear enough of that. I know, we're lucky. Yeah. We're lucky that he told us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked about Doug. Thinking about Kate. What kinds of takeaways or big footprints did that leave on you? So I've known Kate since childhood we went to elementary school together so we have been in each other's orbits for a very very long time and there were pieces of her story that I knew from us being schoolmates but obviously I learned a lot when we sat down together for the podcast and I feel like Kate actually rings in my head a lot because for for two reasons uh one of them's a little bit funny and the other one is like really sobering. So I guess I'll start with the sobering part. I think about her really regularly when I am struggling with something with my body. Um, and I think women in our culture tend to struggle with their bodies a lot in, in vain ways, but also just thinking about being able-bodied. I, I think of Kate so regularly. I don't remember if this comment that she made made it to the podcast or if it was one of the sections that was cut, but I think of her every time I go to the grocery store because every time I pull into the grocery store parking lot, I'm looking at the parking spaces for handicapped vehicles and seeing shopping carts there. And I always move them because I'm trying to get them out of Kate's way. Um, and I don't remember if she, if, if that was part of the recording or if that was separate. I want to say that it made it through editing because I'm sure that I listened it's to her. It's kind of ringing your chimes too. Yeah. Yeah. So every time I go to the grocery store, I think about Kate and I think about having legs that work for me the way that they do and wanting to protect that space for her and for people like her and the frustration that I have for people who aren't thinking at all about that. Because even with the Americans with Disabilities Act, it's really amazing how much is not accessible. Right. And I think about that a lot. Like when Kate talked about her chair and she talked about, uh, I, I don't remember if they're godchildren or like quasi-nephews, but she was talking about their curiosities about her chair and that they would ask questions and she's like, if you can do something that makes it easier for me to, you know, X, Y, Z, like she lifted off, listed off all these things, I was like, God, I never have to think about that. And that's privilege. So that's a place where I think about Kate a lot. And the other place I think about Kate is, so <laughs> uh, working in human services, it's ironic that one of the things I say really regularly to my inner circle is that I hate people. 
gosh, that is one of my all-time favorite things to text somebody is IFH people. Yeah. Or IFHP. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, but it's like gallows humor. Well, but still. Okay. So anyway, what one of the things that I think about every time I say I hate people, I think about Kate saying most people are really friendly. Like I remember her <laughs> saying that and it just like re- it runs like a tape in my in my brain and I really love that she said that because I tend to be a person especially when we're talking about the public like if I know you personally I have tons of grace for where you're coming from what's going on but if I don't know you a place where I'm really challenged is having grace for you if, you know, I can yeah. just be really ugly, honestly. And it doesn't make me feel good about myself. Yeah. And I like that Kate has that perspective, you know, that most people are good and most people are really friendly. And that's a good challenge Yeah. for me. Yeah. I always wonder, where are the adults in our lives that are not able-bodied? Like, I don't interact with any co-workers or peers or friends or neighbors that aren't able-bodied it's a minority like, but but like but where are they like they're out there mm-hmm. whenever I think of Kate that's really for me is the takeaways like how come I don't interact with folks that have different bodies than I do um Kelly <sighs> thoughts or impressions <sighs> This is going to sound really dumb. I can't wait to hear it. So I have always been in awe of Kelly based on what she went through with her son. Um, And I knew her before her son got sick. And so when he got sick, certainly from a distance, I was not like in her circle at all. But I watched you know, from a distance and was in awe of what their family did and, and went through. And, um, then having the opportunity to sit down with her, I felt like the curtain was pulled back a little bit and I got to see even more and was just really like, so in awe of her strength. And just this last fall, I went through a, a crisis with a new pet that I have Um, And I hate even using the word pet because he's not my pet. He's my family. And I remember being, I remember sitting in the hospital, a parking lot and being so completely beside myself at what he was going through medically. And I thought about Kelly because I was thinking how I could not do what was being asked of me. And that it was just like too hard and I just, I just couldn't weather it. And I thought so much about Kelly. I thought so many times, like, I can't live with these expenses. I can't live with these doctor's visits. I can't live with feeling like I'm waiting for a bomb to go off. The amount of stress that I was under for that month. I mean, I... I have the vivid memory of having a conversation with my mom and telling her almost like a warning, like, I feel like I'm cracking. Like, I I feel like I'm, I'm losing it. Like, I'm not okay. 
anyway, I know this, some people might just think this is so ridiculous, but I feel like that experience, I, so I've always been in awe of Kelly, but I feel like that experience I had with my cat this fall has made me appreciate at such a deeper level. Like maybe now I can empathize a tiny bit. I, you know, this is, it's not my blood. This is not my human child, but, and it's, and it's not cancer. And we didn't have the like longevity. I mean, they went through this for years. So I'm not using the word empathy lightly because I know that I don't really get it, but I felt like that experience gave me like a, a truer glimpse than I had had before. And I mean, she's fucking amazing. I'm not sure I could be that strong as a mom. I think I would crack and crumble and just fall apart. It is superhero level stuff. Mm -hmm. We don't value or appreciate the strength of a mother's love for their child. I think that we, as a society, we don't value that. We don't understand it. And it's just like your recent experience, that's, that's empathy. It's empathy because you can understand more deeply what Kelly's experience was. And I think that's the kind of the deep emotions and deep, crises and deep struggle that we don't talk about enough we want to gloss we want to gloss over that and we have these trite phrases like you know I'm here for you like you'll get through this God has a plan whatever those you know all these little phrases that we say that make the sayer feel better but Kelly was really hard to listen to because Oh, I'm sure as a mom. It was... I think, like, every mom I know who listened to her, to her story was, like, undone. It took a long time to get... It was like Jules. Like, it, Jules was very difficult for me to listen to, and there were many times where I have to stop and wait, like, a couple days and come back to it. And Kelly's is the same way. Like, it was... I just kind of shut down inside, because that's my coping strategy, is I can just shut shut it down. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way I was able to finish it, because it was just, it was too much. It was too much. And, like, even now, when I'm, like, you can hear from the way that I'm talking about it, I want to push it away. Like, I don't think I could do that. I would break, I'd, I can't sit with her story the way that it deserves, because it's so painful. So painful to, to even attempt to allow my heart to wrap around what that must have been like for her. And what a lonely place. Yes. Yes. What a lonely place. Even now when he's really healthy and doing great, you know, I think that time had to change them. To think about it, you have I have to put myself in her shoes as a mom and nobody wants those shoes. No. Yeah. No. No. And we're, I think too, like we just so often just shut the door on hearing about it. We just don't listen to it. We change the channel or avoid that person or whatever. We just shut it down because it's well, too painful. Well, she talked about at the that. Expense. She, she talked about some of the losses she experienced because people just couldn't handle it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I feel a little bit 
dumb or a little bit odd, you know, sharing what I shared about what happened for me this fall and how that, how that connected with Kelly. But the truth is that I thought about her a lot. I thought about her a lot and I tried to draw from her and I don't think I managed as gracefully in that tiny short period as she did in the years that she had. But I'm grateful that I had her story to lean into. Yeah. Miss Annie. Oh, Annie. I love Annie's episode because I feel like it's one of those outlier, like different episodes of the season because it's just about love. And it's just nice to hear to hear about love. I'm I'm happy for her in in what she's got. And there are times when you know, I'm struggling with my own relationship status and I'll think about that interview with Annie and sitting with her and talking about love and what she's said about it and you know, the fact that she believes there's somebody out there for everybody and so it's just a timing thing. But I definitely lean into that interview with Annie because she talked so much about personally where I want to be. And I imagine there are probably a lot of people who feel just like I feel. For sure. Maybe even who are in marriages. <laughs> For sure. And feel like they want to have a dynamic like like what Annie has. Yeah. I was surprised by her story because I felt like sometimes when people experience that type of happiness, it can be triggering for people. And I think sometimes it's in the way that you tell that story. And I liked her story. I liked it. It wasn't triggering the way she told it? No. uh -uh. Well, that's good. I think she would be, as a therapist, she'd probably be very happy to hear that. (laughs) Well, and I I feel like an idiot saying that because I'm like, I feel like I'm making it about what it should be about Annie. Um, well, but that's true. I think when someone does have happiness and is experiencing the fulfillment of something that's a dream for so many people, it can be hard to hear. You would think that you just feel like that's great, but I think we have such a scarcity mentality too. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, if that happened for someone that I know, then I guess I won't have that chance. Right. Which is, scarcity mentality is so stupid. It is so stupid, but we are so... I was going to say, it's so hard for me to bust out of that. It's so ingrained. Yes. Um, Alba? Oh, gosh. Alba, I mean, what do you even say about (laughs) Alba? Really? What can you possibly say? I mean, this woman has been through so much and so many things that so many of us will be spared in our lifetime. Yeah, I'm in awe of her. I think she's a very magical, amazing human being. And I'm really lucky to know her. When it comes to her, I mostly feel like anything I would try to say is too small. Yeah. You know? Um, I love her Latin presence in the world. And I love that she, that she brings, you know, threads of that into mine. Because yeah. to me, she is like big hair and hoop earrings and color and loud music. And it's not that she's not afraid to take up space, but she owns the space. 
she owns her space. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, and yeah. In, a, in a very in a very lovely way, and it feels it's not just who she is as a human being. It also feels culturally based, like rooted yeah. in culture. Yeah, and I really like. I mean, it's very selfish of me, but I like that she brings that. I like being able to feel that. It's like roots. She she's so connected to her roots, and I love her resilience. I find that I like, like, there's all these, like, everything. Resilience comes up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But truly with her, it you kind of feel like you could open the dictionary to resilience and it and should just be, it. like, her picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's just thing after thing after thing after thing. Um, thoughts, impressions, lasting heartprints from Devin? I mean, I think Devin's story is a good story for any one who loves a woman to listen to. And I think it's good for every woman to listen to because it just deals with that body body image stuff that so many women wrestle with and obviously in a very like complex way. And the fact that she came through it the way that she did, I just think is very beautiful. Devin is my favorite yoga teacher. I don't get to study with her anymore because her practice has changed, but I practiced with her for years and would arrange my schedule around getting to her class. She's a magician. She's absolutely amazing as a yoga teacher. I have music on my iPod, like I have a, a yoga playlist, like music that came up in yoga that was really impactful, you know, at that time or during that practice, and a lot of it is Devin's. Is she still doing, teaching yoga? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. She's at a studio in Denver. It's Oasis. Oasis is the name of her hmm. studio. I think the studio is in the Highlands. So if you're in the Highlands area... And in Denver. You've, in Denver, and you feel like you want to check out yoga, Devin is the way to go. Hmm. Look for Oasis Yoga. Lasting impressions from your time with Eli? Eli is just a person whose lap you want to just crawl into and just be taken care of for a little while. She's, like, so maternal, you know? There's just something in her presence that's just very like welcoming and makes you feel at home even when you're not at home she is very homey uh as a being in the world and so that's my that's my biggest takeaway from her is just that I I love the way that she is and the way that she you know conducts herself in the world and you want to be more like that She's like the embodiment of safe. Yeah, she really yeah. she really is. She's just very, very grounded and has a gigantic window to be able to, like, whatever it is, she can hold it. That's a real skill, by the way. I feel like you have that skill, too. Thank you. I think I do, too, but I think it's not as good as Eli's. Really? Uh-huh. I think Eli's is bigger. I want to meet these people now. <laughs> it's like one thing to experience it listening to their story but I'm like really? I feel like your window is pretty big for holding people and holding 
whatever they're coming up with. Yeah, I think so too. Hmm. I think Eli's is bigger. Lasting impressions from Mr. Raj? With Raj, I mean, how can you listen to that story and not be thinking about what comes next? I feel like his story is really impactful because we don't often get the opportunity to engage with someone not just about end of life but about afterlife and most of the times we are having those discussions it's all supposing and wondering and thinking but I have never sat with someone who felt they were on the other side and talked about what that was like I absolutely love that he brought that to the first season of this show. That was hard to listen to. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't find it hard at all. I want... My skepticism, I'm discovering, is quite the defense mechanism. Mm. And so I was like, what? I, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But then I was like... Well, now I kind of want to hear the rest of it. Like, what does he have to say? And I think that there's something so cultural about his interpretation of his experience mm-hmm. that, again, we just lack as Americans. We just, everything's black and white. It, heaven and hell. Bing, boom, bam. You're either here or you're there. And so to hear him speak so eloquently, it's not an opinion. It's like we were talking about with Jules. Yeah, this is not an opinion. This is what I experienced. So you take it or leave it. Right. But I'm telling you this is what happened. And there's no, um, I don't know what the right word is. There's no drama to it. This is, like, truly for him, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And so there's a complexity to this because it's not fiction. Right. Yes. I, I agree 100%. And part of the other piece I really loved hearing from Raj was just like the little featherings in of Indian culture. Mm -hmm. India is not a place I have any lived experience in and I'm not super familiar with Indian culture. And so I'm not at all being able to have a conversation with this Indian man who is like married traditionally and now living and working in the United States. And I felt like His story was just like layers and layers and layers of color too, but it's, it's different because it's the other side, which is, that's unique. I mean, he's the only person this season who touched on. I've never experienced that and I don't know anyone that's experienced that. Yeah. I have read a couple of books after a loss, but no, me neither. Raj is, Raj is the first, and that makes the time that I sat with him really special for me. Yeah. Gets me thinking, too, about how much of our outlook on the world and, to a great extent, that happiness, that contentment we have is socialized and how we are molded to perceive the world. Mm-hmm. Um, lasting impressions or takeaways from Stephanie? Stephanie, for me, is living example of faith. I feel like she's a person who, in the time that I've known her, I've always felt that she's very connected to God. And in these stories that she shared with us, I think 
everybody got glimpses of that. And what's so extraordinary, I think, is that is Steph. That's Steph. That was not just for the podcast. That's almost like every conversation you have with her. Not that she's storytelling at that level, but the way that that connection to God comes through in her stories, that comes through her way of life, her way of being. It's not just how she perceives or experienced no infidelity or adoption or any of those things. No, it's how she lives. It's truly part of who she is. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't surprise me. Whatever you might feel when you're listening to her stories on the podcast, it's like you're gonna have that same feeling on a walk in the neighborhood where you're talking about like how things have been going at work. And I think that's part of why I think she is so powerful is because she really, it's like somehow, see spotlight's like not the right word, but I had this like image in my head, you know, the sound of a spotlight, like clicking on to, Mm -hmm. to zero in your attention on something. I feel like that's what Stephanie does with God, but it's not, she's like the spotlight when you're with her, it makes that that clicking sound where you like see more clearly a spotlight is like a little bit like too aggressive (laughs) because I feel like the way that she does it is a lot gentler she's like Kelly like I want I wish I could be more like her I feel like they both possess these qualities of strength and patience and for lack of a better word just inner strength I, I don't think I have anywhere near that strength that both of them have. She is a very quiet magnetism where my experience has been having very little side talk with her is that I just want to be with her. Like I feel very accepted and welcomed by her. Not because she said, like we maybe have said three words to each other. And I think that type of enigma, that really fascinates me because I don't know what that are you born with that energy? Do you work to create that energy? Because I do not have that energy. What is that? Yeah, what yeah, is she, that? She's special. Because it's not just charisma. Because people always want to be like, oh, it's charisma. No, Mm-mm. it's more than that. Yeah, I don't know what the word is. I think that she has true, deep, unwavering confidence in who she is and what she believes on the most deepest, microscopic, unquestionable level. Yeah, like foundationally. Yeah. Um, Lasting takeaways, feelings, impressions about the farm? I love the farm episode. How can I not love the farm episode? Because this is my family, you know? My mom and my aunt and my cousin, we just sort of spontaneously decided to sit down and have a conversation about the farm. And we recorded it under the framework that we use for All I Know. And... I just love having this part of our life as a family memorialized a little bit because the farm has been sold and so it's no longer in the family and it was a big page to turn. I mean, I remember getting the phone call that the farm was selling and the emotional reaction I had to it. I was just overcome with devastation about the fact that it was being sold and I think it's because of what it represents 
So I love that episode with my whole heart. The only thing that makes me so sad is I feel like it's our worst audio quality of the whole season. So, um, anyway, I, yeah, it's, it's really hard for me not to just completely love that episode because it's, it's my roots and it's not just my roots, but it's my mother's roots and it's not just my mother's roots, but my great aunt's root, you know, Mm -hmm. the generational piece there is really powerful to me. I think that's going to be a time capsule for you. I think as years progress, that's going to be something you go back to and listen to quite a bit. I love listening to that episode. I love being able to hear my cousin's voice and my aunt's voice and my mom's voice. You know, they're all speaking just like they speak. Yeah. And so it just, to me, that episode probably even more than some of the others feels more like a chat around a table over a meal than than any of the others that are part of season one. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about your episode? No. <laughs> no, I absolutely don't want to talk about my episode. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. It's there for people to listen to if they want to listen to it. And I feel like we've kind of referred to it a little bit already. That episode is part of me getting more acquainted with what our storytellers are going through when they, when they come to sit with me. Any other last thoughts? I don't think so. I mean, that's a wrap on season one. And, um, I'm just really thankful to everybody who took the time to listen and who participated in this journey with us. It means a lot to have, people listening to this project and sort of sharing in what our storytellers are bringing to the fore. And, you know, it can be hard uh, to share something so vulnerable and kind of feel like you're maybe speaking into a void. And so knowing that there are listeners on the other end and then people who go the extra step to take the time to interact with us over what they've heard, I know that that means so much, not just to me, but to the, the guests on our show who have taken the time to share their stories when they have gotten feedback. And I, I really try to share feedback when it, when it comes my way, especially if it's not on social media, if it's private, I try to make sure to forward that on to the person who shared. It means a lot to people. I have really loved listening to these stories and I know, I know there's lots and lots of people out there that have heard them and listened and loved them. And you just don't know it because they're not dropping a comment on social media. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so much currency to this that you may not ever see. I think so. And that's actually a learning curve, right? You don't hear from most of your listeners. You may hear from a very small handful, but you'll never hear from most of them. Yeah. Which probably makes it hard to keep going. So weird. It feels like, oh, it's not a conversation. I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was, but... Yeah, podcasting is usually not a conversation between the podcast and listener. So yeah, that's a wrap on season one, and we'll be back for season two. Catch all the light you can until then, friends. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that What they have to say is going to fall on ready ears, and we couldn't do that without you. 
Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us here at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can.